0: So last week, uh, I was at a... I've been, I love retreats. i got to say that uh, at the outset. I love retreats. I used to work at a retreat center. I love camps. I love any group where we go to some cool place. Uh, in, in Chicagoland growing up, I was always like Wisconsin camps because they were the only ones that ever had snow. And sometimes ski retreats with the junior high and high school group. Uh, missions trips. I love all that stuff. And so I finally got to go on a retreat, a small retreat, uh, after three years of trying, I think you guys know why. Most retreats have been suspended, and uh, it was just a, it was mo- it was mostly a fellowshipping retreat with just believers, just brothers. Uh, I didn't know half of them. Uh, it was uh, it was an incredible time up in the mountains of Colorado, almost ten thousand foot elevation is where this cabin was, and the cabin there was ten of us, and the cabin could have fit into this room twice. So. It was really, really, really small and awesome. I loved it. It really was amazing. And I just, through fellowshipping and through talking to these guys, I just realized that we're, we come from very different places, but we all kind of struggle with that same thing in, in not only this country, but just wrestling with our faith. And so I really wanted this message to, um, it's been bouncing around in my mind all week I don't even have a title for it, as you probably can see. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, there's no chance I'm getting through verse 17. Uh, It has been for a long time one of my favorite uh, chapters. If not, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, my favorite verses for so many years. But guys, it's amazing how much you can hear a verse and be like, yeah, up here, and not really truly understand it to the level that, God himself will illuminate to your heart, that the Spirit of God will teach you as you grow in him. And so I want to get right into it, uh, but I I do want to say that fellowship uh, with people who want to see each other mature in Christ is the best fellowship. Talking, working, sharing, eating, resting, that's what we did for basically three days. We just were sharing, we were working, we were splitting firewood for for the... a cabin for this winter, uh, just sharing struggles, stories, jokes, eating amazing food, just resting. And it's something that, once again, I think it's been rare for the last few years, but I think it needs to be something that we try. Even if the fellowship is just a local thing, it's one of the reasons why we not only will start at 6 p.m. on Tuesday together, but also to break uh, apart into smaller groups. So... um, I don't typically do this where I just pop into a book in the literal middle of a book. I don't typically do that, but I really felt like this was uh, something that God was uh, almost testimonial, almost like sharing uh, in a different way. Um, So Colossians, really, really briefly, the church uh, that this was written to, which is in what we know as modern Turkey, the west side of Turkey today, um, Colossae, was under attack from false teachers who were denigrating the deity of Jesus. We just dealt with a ton of that in Hebrews, where people just, they dumbed down Jesus, or they're like, eh, you don't really need that, or that's not really that important if you're Jewish. So they, they, they have tried these false teachers. Uh, some would call them Gnostics. If you know that term, great. If you don't know the term, it, all it basically means is people who have this, quote, special knowledge that they got from someplace, God knows where, literally, uh, it's not from him, and they were trying to sort of marry these eastern uh, Eastern religion, which is very, very popular in America now, has been around since before Christ. Um, the idea of Buddhism, the idea of this this uh, kind of pluralistic uh, pantheism, uh, pluralistic societies went on since before Egypt, the exodus. so these these uh, false teachers would come into this tiny church and try and teach these people that Jesus wasn't really God. You don't really need him. He's not really deity. And so um, they have this, quote, special knowledge that they were teaching people. And it's, I would say, it's one of the best tricks going right now. Um, There was a movie from the 90s, I think, uh, where the character said the greatest trick the devil ever, ever pulled on humanity was convincing the world he didn't exist. I might go a little further and say the greatest trick right now is to confuse people about Jesus, to confuse people in general and to keep them off balance as much as you possibly can. Because if you can get people to believe that Jesus was just a man and just a teacher, not what the word of God says that he is, they will never enjoy freedom. They will never be free in their faith ever. In fact, it'll be the opposite. They'll be enslaved in their faith. Jesus died to bring people freedom. He died to give us life abundant, the abiding life, and these days, I felt like this was such a, uh, a, a message that's been on my heart for a while that I see so many people struggling, hurting, just, the, you know, the, to keep the mental gymnastics going of, oh, amen, bless the Lord, brother, all these terms that I've been hearing since I was a little kid in the church, I don't even know what that stuff means, guys. Like, I don't know what half of the Christianese that's out there. I don't really know what it means. I don't know what it's supposed to do. I think it's supposed to be like a sign, like sign language, like a secret handshake that you are a Christian. But to say these things to people when it's like, man, I don't know what that means, truthfully. I'm a pastor and I don't know what this means. I want to read uh, 1 or, uh, Colossians chapter 3, the first verse. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Tons in there. Raised with Christ. Baptism shows you and I, I don't remember thinking this when I was a kid, watching the baptismal behind my head at the Baptist church, uh, and at the church that I first got my uh, first youth pastor's job ad that they had a baptismal that was way up there. It was like 10 feet above the stage and you'd open up the pipe organy things and there's the pastor in his robe. And I didn't, I'm like, this is cool, I guess. I, I just didn't get it. I'm eight, nine, 10, 11. I, I just didn't understand it. But when we, when we quote dunk someone and we put them underneath the water, that is supposed to be, it's a lot of things, but it's supposed to be a picture of you were raised up from the dead, but first something else happened. You were, your flesh was crucified. Your who you really are as a as a just a person, that person is not perfect. I think we all know this. And so that person is being put in the grave. And what's coming out of the water, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, is this this spiritual birth, the spiritual um, miracle. Paul calls it a mystery. And so. Baptism shows you and I this picture. It is an amazing thing. We do need to be baptized. But there, ha- it, it symbolizes that there was first a death. You were raised. You were resurrected. Well, You can't be resurrected without first going into the grave. So in the garden, it was the spirit that died and had interrupted fellowship with, with uh, God. Why, how do I know this? Because we're hybrid. We're body, soul, and spirit. And when Adam and Eve died uh, turned against God and accepted what Satan had, had told them, the lie that he told them, they sinned and something died. It was their spirit. Soul and spirit, sometimes, because they both start with an S and they're used in very interesting ways, let's just say, in the society. The body is how I relate to this world physically. I interact with it physically. I like things to be tangible. We, uh, sometimes when somebody shows us something really cool, like, hey, can I hold that? Can I, can I like, like, we, we use our, our physical body to engage in a physical world? That's how I relate to the world physically. My soul is my personality, it's how I relate to other people. You ever heard somebody say, oh, you're an old soul, or we're, we're like old souls? That's how you relate to other human beings. But the word soul translates in the Greek to psych psych, like psychology. And my spirit is how I relate to God. The spirit will live on forever, someplace. I want to read this cool uh, quote I found on the soul because I don't think we talk enough about the soul. I don't think people really get that as much. And it all pertains to this new life in chapter 3. It says The soul is the immaterial part of a human being that can respond to other people, the soul involves the mind and emotions. It gives us the capacity to relate to others and to form bonds, very important. It is our souls that respond to the beauty and high ideals. People with healthy souls are capable of forming meaningful relationships. People with unhealthy souls find it more difficult. Soul care is the attention given to healing a wounded soul or maintaining a healthy soul. In a Christian context, soul care is, is often linked to finding help to overcome temptations, fight addictions, and have peace with God. At this point, it's helpful once again to make a distinction between soul and spirit. Sin and spiritual death affect the whole person. Our bodies feel the effects of sin, and so do our souls. Some people have healthier souls than others and are thus uh, better able to have healthy relationships. If a person with an unhealthy soul attends counseling, or even enters into the treatment of a psychologist, he or she may be able to make changes that will improve personal relationships and the level of functioning in society. However, this improvement of the soul will not change a person's eternal destiny, nor will it give him or her spiritual life. Likewise, a person who has become spiritually alive in Christ may still have a damaged soul and may be in need of soul care. Some believers have have to work long and hard to overcome bad habits and destructive patterns. Such struggles often continue all their lives. Romans chapter six, seven, eight. 8, Paul lays this out. It is going to be something that affects you. However, you did die. Your soul died uh, through sin. Your spirit, excuse me. You were raised... If you are in Christ, you are raised by God's power, by the resurrection power, the Holy Spirit of God. We call it renewed. We call it new life. He says, seek those things, if this is you. It's not everybody, obviously. When you read this, uh, some people go, oh, uh, Bible, uh, Jesus, uh, I don't believe that stuff. That's fine, okay. That's not for you in this context. He's writing to churches, that we're once again struggling with people, giving them garbage information and lying to them and telling them lies that Satan would love to weave into all Christian hearts and to enslave them. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Verse two, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So this is a huge deal. Because people that only live for the here and now, we we see tons of this in our society. We see uh, people that are just, they're only concerned about daily details. They're only concerned about life here. But they don't know when their life's going to be over. They don't know if it's going to be a quick life, a long life. It seems to me like what he's asking us is, hey, invest in the spirit. Invest in the spiritual realm. Invest in your relationship in Christ because... When I set my mind on the things of the heavenlies, when I set my mind on Christ, my problems seem like less of a deal, less of a weight, less of a burden, less just like on our shoulders. When we're really, really investing in our relationship in Christ, if we're actually Christians, then a lot of times these little irritants, these little things, they sort of get backburned, or backburnered, and they sort of, uh, it's almost like they fade a little bit. He says, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's my favorite verse. It's been my favorite verse for a long time. Colossians 3.3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's funny. You died, but your life is hidden. It's because of the word your. We use it all the time. We use it so much. But you died, and your new life, this new life, is all about your relationship with the Lord. I want to spend the majority of the time really developing this idea of a union. And some people, uh, I grew up in a union town. There's a right to work state, Arizona. But I grew up in like the land of the mob and Teamsters Union, okay? I'm not kidding you. This This is literally what happened. I was working for a radio station when I was like 21 or something. And McCormick Place in Chicago is this huge, it's like TCC, but it's way bigger. It's like a million square feet. It's where the Chicago Auto Show is. There's one million square feet of, uh, it's like two stories, and there's just cars everywhere. That's how I started to get to this place. And, and that's how I started to realize. It's on the lake downtown. It's a really, really cool area, right by where the Bears play, a very historic area. And I remember thinking like, wow, this place just goes on. You could literally walk for the, almost the entire day and not get to every single car. But the idea of, um, for me as a kid, I'm excited about um, – when I'm at this radio station, I'm excited about you know working at the radio station and maybe being able to be a DJ, maybe being on air. And so I drive the, the – you literally could drive the, uh, the radio station um, Mercury Mountaineer. I drove it in, and I'm starting to unload it. And what do the Teamsters do? The Teamsters Union. They yell at me. They light me up. Don't you dare touch that in a Chicago building. Okay. Yeah, please, break your back for me. I don't care. So it took them forever because they went on a smoke break for an hour um, and every other thing that you can think of. And then, uh, like, the second day I'm there, just, you know, we're at the auto show. We're passing out keychains. And one of the light bulbs goes down on my little game. We had, like, a little Plinko game like Bob Barker, okay. if you guys know who that is. Um, And uh, I'm starting to unscrew the light bulb, and somebody, like, screams at me, don't you dare unscrew that light bulb. I'm like, I'm not a moron. I can change a light bulb. You can't do that in this town. These guys get paid $100 an hour to do that. Like, okay. So the Teamsters Union, there's people that are in and out of the union in my hometown. They have very, very strong, it's left or right on this issue. You're either in it and you love it, or you're not. And that's just the way it is in union places. But union in general... Is a, it's a word that means to, um, to come together or to bond two things into one. Um, we have that, that sign over there that says, bind my wandering uh, heart to thee. I always, when I pray that, I always pray, God weld mine <laughs> to yours, because I don't know if the binding is that good. Um, but the union, it's the union, it's, it's being joined, okay? Most of us know the union as Christians. We know the picture of a wedding, We know the picture of Christian marriage. We know that we, the church, are called the bride of Christ. And so we are that other half of the union, all of us, both collectively and individually. But when you get married uh, in in the Christian church and, you know, you go premarital and you go go through all these resources and you get to, you kind of get people tell you your whole life, like, hey, this is, you know, a a good husband does this and a good wife does this and you just hear a lot about it. So it's not a very difficult analogy for us. It's not, a, it's not a hard word picture for us to understand that two become one. We get that. Uh, those of us, once again, that understand that. And another thing, like I said about the unions, people have these interesting views about it. It's either good or bad to most people. Well, that's how marriage is in the world. Christian marriage often ends in divorce, and so uh, people go, uh, I don't want to get married, I don't want to get married. Well, we have less people getting married ever, than, I mean, right now than ever before uh, in this country because people go, oh, it, just, it always fails. That's fine, because that's people. But God's design of stuff is, is still a great design. It's still a wonderful uh, idea. When it works, when people will listen to him, it's great. Um, I, I, I trust that many of you guys have, I've met a few uh, 85 to 90-year-old couples who are married longer than 50 years, and when you see these folks, a lot of people go, hey, what's your secret? And sometimes the guys joke, they're like, listen to her. Just listen to her. Shut your mouth. I mean, there's jokes, you know. There's, there's, there's marriage jokes. They're easy. It's an easy thing to attack because uh, whatever God puts in the hands of mankind, we usually fumble it, you know. We just mess it up pretty bad. So so much. It doesn't mean that because we mess something up that it's still not a beautiful picture and it still doesn't, it, uh, that it's still not a wonderful thing when I married my wife, I vowed to be faithful to her, and often, like I said, it's said the two become one flesh. We have five kids uh, we're very blessed it's a it's a wonderful um, it's a wonderful life it doesn't mean that it's perfect it doesn't mean that there's not struggle it doesn't mean that there's not ups and downs, but it is a beautiful thing, and i wouldn't want my life any other way but on the spiritual side. We know that sin affected all human beings. It still affects us to this day. But there was a death in the spirit when in Christ, he, through the Holy Spirit, resurrects our soul and the scriptures tell us that uh, your life now is hidden. But how many people think about their relationship with Jesus as a union, as a marriage? Guys, we hear this all the time. We hear the bride of Christ. We hear all these terms all the time. Um, I'm reading this book uh, called The Rest of the Gospel, Blowing My Mind. Uh, The guy who actually wrote this has been dead for a long time. Um, The guy who actually penned it and put it together, uh, David Gregory, um, is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, he's, He's an amazing author. He took all of this guy Dan Stone's teachings and writings and he put it in book form. And I'm seeing a ton of books like this right now. There's another one that's coming out next month called Knowing your Bible and missing the gospel. Why would these books be so popular right now? I've never heard of books like this. Uh, when I was the bookstore manager, when I was uh, in uh, Bible college, I never saw Christian books like this. People missing the gospel or the rest of it or the other half of the gospel, uh, another book. The other half of the gospel. What's the first half? Well, Jesus saves, right? Raise your hand. You wanna be saved? That's awesome. Now what? Because that's where people struggle. Now what? Because they've never been discipled. Now what? Because they've never actually had anybody expound on that. What am I saying yes to? It's like somebody waking you up out of bed in, let's just make up a number, at the age of 30 and marching you in here and you're going, what am I doing? You're getting married. It's a great thing, right? Uh, to who? Don't worry about it. It's, it's a good thing. Just do it. Just say yes. Well, now what? Well, now you got to work. That's in, in marriage. What the rest of the gospel is, is how do I now operate in this union? Paul's trying to let this church understand, forget these teachers. Forget people. Forget outside influences. How much do Shannon and I take the world's advice and go, that would be a good idea for our daily marriage? Never. Never. Because it doesn't work. The world has nothing to say to me and my wife's marriage. The Lord does. Lots of stuff. The Lord's word has lots to pour into our marriage. He has lots to pour into your union too. And a lot of times we just struggle with this. One of the reasons why is because there's legalism all over the place. Because human beings want to do stuff. We want to accomplish stuff. We want to, quote, check boxes. Did you go to church last week? Yes, I did. Did you go to Bible study last week? Yes, I did, twice. Uh, You're the best Christian ever. Thanks, man. Well, did you talk to the Lord about that, though? Reading the Bible, knowing the scriptures, and missing the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the mystery that you and I are fused to God Almighty, and we have to develop that relationship, or else we will start to listen to the church and to religious people and to all these other people who are now weaving all sorts of garbage into the American church, all sorts of woke, all sorts of, of man-made philosophies. The wind of new stuff blows in and out like the wind in any city. Um, I don't really like the wind. I'll be honest with you. I really don't like the wind. But I was one time going, all right, God, I hate the wind. I want to I move someplace where it's not windy. You know where it's not windy? Nowhere. The least windy places on earth, there's a tiny little bowl up in Alaska. Well, I don't want to live in a bowl like Bisbee, although Bisbee's kind of cool. Um, it's, it's windy everywhere, guys. I'm from Chicago, the windy city. People go, oh, the desert's windy. It's windy everywhere. It was in San Diego a couple months ago. It's just nonstop wind. Wind annoys people. There we go. Amen. It's just the way it is. But the, the sort of the, the, the wind of doctrine kind of moves like the wind. It moves in silently. Sometimes it's a four or five, six mile an hour wind. You're like, you tell somebody, hey, it's not windy at all. Sometimes you're golfing and you see uh, a, a, f- a flag and you're, trying to, you're feeling wind, but you're seeing way down, hundreds of feet down. There's no wind on that flag. It's very, very, very tough to discern the wind. You can't see it. You can feel it, but you can't grab it. That is often how it is. Um, I grew up believing that Christian life was something I could do, that I could just do it and maybe do it well as long as I was staying plugged into the church, plugged into what the church is saying. The problem is sometimes the church is made up of humans. Shocker. Real shocking. And so when somebody comes to you and they go, hey, what should I do about this? I have, to, I have this huge issue. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you should just bail out. Maybe you should quit. Maybe you should go get another job. Maybe you should move to a non windy place. Whatever people tell you, my buddy, I love, I love um, a buddy of mine that I was on this retreat with, he always says the same thing to people who are like, I am just at the, my wits end about doing this or that, whatever it is, this problem. And he goes, did you talk to Jesus about it? Most of the time they say no. <laughs> but once again, this idea of union, it, it comes to us. Uh, we do need to a little bit talk about this. There was a spiritual union when you said yes to the Lord. My spirit and his spirit. My life fused to his, binded to his, unionized, if you will, welded, whatever it is, sewn, whatever the word you want to use, this is a spiritual reality. can't see it, like the wind. Spiritual reality, they are not often talked about as much. We talk about the things we do. We talk about the things we've accomplished. We talk about uh, you know, the things we've been doing for the church and how much we've been serving and how much all these accolades that, that really get other people's attention, really make you look awesome. What I'm learning, is, and what God's teaching me, and what he did both through this retreat and just kind of um, gleaning through the scriptures and through this last week, is that because my physical world around me is so messed up, we get these weird word associations. and And we'll talk more about it next week, but, the bride of Christ, what does that mean to you? I don't know how many people say that out loud and don't give it another thought. When you are in a relationship with somebody, you, especially when you're maybe courting or like you're, you're, you're about to get engaged, like this relationship is very important to you. You are not missing much. Most of the time, even though we're very messed up people and we have a lot of issues. And like I talked about, uh, the soul is a very, very, very tricky thing. One psychologist says, "Uh, We don't want to talk about Freud and the id and all that stuff. He goes, That's a mess in there. I'm like, Agreed. It's true. But the idea that you would go into the faith and try and maintain it and try to put a yoke of stuff or other people's theological uh, bends, whatever those are, whether it's Calvinism or, or the idea of if you're not doing this, 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 you read your Bible every day, um, there, there was a guy who said, uh, every Christian should read Ephesians every single day. That's a wonderful idea, but it is not in scripture. That's, it's not Jesus and read Ephesians and you're good to go. I'm not mocking Ephesians. I love Ephesians, but it's a get-to. It's not a got-to. It's not a burden. It's not a prescription, We have to understand this union is real, even though we don't, it doesn't necessarily affect maybe how we drive, how we work, uh, our financials. It's real. Jesus died for us so that our life could be hidden in his so that his life could flow out that's the only way we're going to get people to go wow why are you not so mad about this world why are you not so sad about this world why are you not freaked out like everybody else is why are you not on anxiety pills why like all these things that we're seeing the ramp up because i'm not focused on the next 30 years here now Does it mean that I don't engage? Does it mean that I don't go to work? No, but it means the first thing, the first relationship. My, like, once again, to go back to marriage, my relationships with my buddies are not above me and my wife's relationship. They're not priority. They're way in the background. I I get to talk to them here and there. They're great relationships, but they're not that important compared to Christ and my wife. That's what I'm called first and foremost to. So he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's what the Christian life is about. It's about being saved from your sin and engaging in this, if you will, marriage, union with the Lord. And yes, people are gonna say things to you. Yes, they're gonna make you mad. Yes, they're gonna try and get you to do the Caleb 40 days of giving and devotions and 40 days of purpose and 40... uh, Stop with the 40s. I don't know why it's so significant. Psalm 40 is awesome. Let's stop right there. The 40s got to stop. I don't really like being in my 40s, but whatever. (laughs) I would say that some people have left the church very recently for a lot of reasons. COVID, uh, they're now doing, quote, online church. But a lot of them did so because they could not live up to the standard of the people in that church what the people in that church had put upon them. I have been to legalistic churches before where people have this recipe that they're all buying into, like an MLM. They're all, they're all doing life coaching. They're all doing vitamins. They're all doing whatever. And if you don't do it, you're out. One of the guys I talked to, he said, man, I, I've been to three or four churches in the city that he lives in. And he goes, honestly, we try to get engaged. We try and get fellowship. We try and come close. And people act like we already have our it's us 10 and no more. We're good. Like, we're not going to allow somebody else to make our click a little uncomfortable. Where in the world do you see that in the scriptures? Where do you see clicks anywhere? Christians should be so excited about their union, their relationship with the Lord, that they're like another brother, another sister. This is awesome. So I am definitely uh, nowhere near even close to done, but that's okay. This sermon was a little uh, off the beaten path today, and it was just, something that I really wanted to share and really what God's kind of stirring in me. Um, but suffice it to say, uh, in closing, the church in Colossae was no different than the church here. Under attack, under lies, under uh, the enemy trying to get it to believe. You don't need that. You don't need, you don't really need to talk to Jesus that much. You're good. But there's a lot of Christians that are, quote, good Because they raised their hand and they have, there's never been another thing. So how could they possibly have a relationship? Could you imagine me saying I do, Shannon, and I haven't talked to her in ten years, let alone not talk to her today, uh, tomorrow, like in our house, in our relationship, where I just stopped talking to her? We got a problem like day one, guys. That is a problem. If we don't talk to the Lord, if we don't like let Him into our decisions, let Him into our lives. That's a problem. We're going to struggle. There is going to be a huge problem. Last, I just want to uh, wrap it up with these kind of three thoughts. True discipleship is difficult to find. It is not an easy thing this side of heaven. True discipleship. The struggle with people, not only to fall into legalism, also when attempting to disciple other believers, is many times they put their do's and don'ts onto another person might not even mean to. You gotta be like this. You gotta do this. You gotta read Revelation annually. Gotta do the one in your Bible. Gotta give Caleb 20 bucks a month. All these things that might be good things for you. It's a different prescription for somebody else. Jesus is moving this person to go do this ministry so that ministry looks different than your ministry. It's okay, he or she is not doing that. It's okay. God told you to go give... Food to these people over here. That's awesome. That's a word from the Lord for you. That's huge. Please don't put that on somebody else if they're doing something else that God's asking them to do. They have a different marriage than you. They have a different union than you. God's talking to them. Just like every marriage is different, yet the principles for Christian marriage are in the scriptures for all of us to read. The principles are there. The footer's there. The Concord Creed stuff is there. Absolutely. However, our relationships with Jesus are unique. They're real relationships. And they're gonna be at different levels. Now everybody's the same. We're not the same height. We're not the same everything. We're at different stages. Don't discourage a brother that's, that's a year old in the Lord because he's still fumbling a little bit. He fumbled. He still fumble, according to Romans. secondly, Oftentimes, when I am very upset about a problem, I'm looking at the temporal. I'm looking right here in front of me. I'm looking at, oh man, it's going to be a high electric bill, which it has been all summer. (laughs) Sometimes that's a big deal to me. Sometimes there's other times where I go, I don't really care. Those times when I go, I don't really care, is when I'm doing better in my marriage, my Christian marriage, my marriage with the Lord. On... This earth, you will have trouble. Jesus guaranteed it. He is there, and he also told you, hey, I've overcome the world. The world is going to be short. No matter if you get 95 years or if you get one, it's short in the scheme of eternity. I want to just close with this quote from Chuck Swindoll. He says, your view of Jesus Christ will impact every area of your life. Many today want only practical instruction and helps for living, avoiding obscure topics such as doctrine and theology because they, they seem to be out of touch with their day-to-day reality. Paul's view was different. He saw that the problems in the, in the Colossian church had practical importance as well. Believers have died with Christ, therefore we need to die to our sins. And We'll get to that next week. We have also been raised with Christ, therefore we must live with him and put on the qualities that are motivated by Christian love. There's a ton of stuff after this, which we'll get into. But as you really enjoy your relationship, the freedom that that gives you to just enjoy your relationship with the Lord, you're going to choose less bad stuff. It's just the way it is. If you, if I, um, if Shannon, if something that I'm doing is annoying Shannon and I really, really love Shannon and I vow that our marriage is more important than my will or whatever, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like fall in line. I'm going to be excited about, hey, you know what? I want to grow. I, wanna, I want this marriage to be better than just what I want. That's why I don't play golf every single day. It's why I don't hang out only with my friends. It's why I don't do a million things because I vowed that this relationship was more of a priority. And that's what we're talking about. He says, because he is Lord over all, the life of the Christian is a life of submission to Jesus. Are you following after Jesus as you should? Our faith in Jesus Christ should transform the relationships we have in every area of our lives, in our homes, our churches, and our world. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for um, the truth. God, that your word is not hard to understand. Uh, God, there are some theological concepts that take a little bit of, uh, you know, just a little bit of our our minds to, to wrap them around, but we know that the revelation of these things comes from your spirit, comes from internally because you are renewing our minds and changing the way we think about stuff in this crooked and perverse world. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being associated with us and that you offer us a friendship, a union. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.